I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the EFL Awards to my Second Tier Awards. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. Justin, it's Second Tier Awards show. This is my favourite show, I think, of the year, actually. Maybe apart from the league table predictions because they're always good fun. But I think this is is it for me. I think, yeah, any time where we discuss the successes and maybe failures over the course of the season or start to predict them. Yeah, it's certainly a good one. I always like the mid-season um, predictions just because it, it really does get up the backs of uh, supporters of clubs, um, especially the mid-season ones. I remember a couple of years ago when we did our end-of-season ones and Watford fans were irate at not having a Watford defender in their team despite having one of the better defensive records. But... It's always it's always good fun, isn't it? It's just what it is. It's just good fun. Look at us. We're in suits, for God's sake. It's just yeah. good fun. We've dressed formally for the occasion, haven't we? And rightly so, because I won't expect anything better from an awards show. But I mean, I mean, this is. I think one of the best things about this episode is it's overwhelmingly positive, isn't it? There is nothing for us to be negative about in this mm. episode. So it's just exactly. going to be a big old loving for the next hour, isn't it? Well, it, it still piss people off, which is the which is the uh, the ironic thing. Yeah, well, we we don't worry about that until we look on social media later. <laughs> but, you know, who cares about that for now? I think also the important thing is this was a very amicable award show for us. Once Usually we have a bit of a debate between ourselves about who should win certain awards. But we pretty much agreed on every single one this year, didn't we? First time in four years. I think it was just maybe the Young Player of the Season award. But then again, thinking back can't really disagree with who we've chosen for it so yeah it's it's first time we've been doing this for four years and it's the first time we've we've fully agreed on uh on pretty much everything which is a surprise because we agree on nothing there's nothing we true. agree on um we get at each other's necks pretty much 90 percent of the time shall we reveal our picks then justin welcome to the number one championship podcast the second tier thank you for joining us wherever you are so yes in the awards show we're going to go through our team of the season first of all in the first half of the show then we'll also do awards like permanent signing of the season loan signing of the season shithouse of the season which is a new award we're doing goal of the season young player of the season manager of the season and then we'll finish off with the big one player of the season so we'll kick things off Justin with our team of the season and our goalkeeper who have we got between the sticks it may surprise one or two but we've gone with Rotherham United's Victor Hansen. now everyone would be thinking he's not got the most clean sheets in the league oh my god you can't judge a goalkeeper on clean sheets alone it's I think it's so narrow-minded to do that and it just doesn't paint the full picture 
13 isn't a bad number, by the way. He's got 13 clean sheets this season. It's not a bad number for a team who's secured championship status with three games to go in a season. But he's got the third highest percent, uh, third highest save percentage in the league. And considering he's made 65 more saves than Murich of Burnley, who's top, and 85 more than Matt Ingram of Hull uh, in second, he's the leading contender for me. He's also a significant reason as to why Rotherham have stayed in the championship this season. Because he's when they haven't been particularly solid, and they haven't been particularly solid throughout throughout the season, they have conceded a lot of chances. Johansson has, has kept them in games, and as I say, he's won them a lot of points this year, and he's he's fully deserving this. And he's been got called up for Sweden, I think, as well, which is it's just a massive, massive, um, yeah, an opportunity, but reward for his uh, his performances this season. Yeah, and what you just said then, Justin, I think is the biggest compliment you can give a goalkeeper, and that is they've individually won points in a season. Victor Hansen has done that on so many occasions for Rotherham. And there's been so many occasions where he stopped a shot that he has no right in stopping and therefore stopped what should be a goal, which will have an effect, obviously, on Rotherham's results. Out of all the goalkeepers who have played more than three quarters of their club games, he's top of the goals prevented stat. And as you rightly say, Justin, uh, uh, he's second for save percentage if you take into account the players who have played more than three quarters of their mm-hmm. club's games. So that's the stat side of things. But even with the eye test, he's an unbelievable shot stopper. You see it week in, week out. And as Lee Peltier said when we spoke to him not too long ago, who's obviously his teammate at Rotherham, he's a top cat. And he's only 24 as well, which is quite young in goalkeeper years, isn't it? So he's got a long and I'm sure successful career ahead of him. He's just been a sensational goalkeeper this season. Um, Honourable mentions. We always do this when we do our awards show. We've got Aaron Murich of Burnley, who's done really well, despite obviously being behind a very sturdy defence at Burnley. And then Ben Wilson at Coventry as well. Justin, you were going to say something. We could easily put a Murich in at centre-half, to be honest with you. <laughs> played that high up. And that's the only thing I was going to point out. But yeah, he's been No, fantastic. you're right. <laughs> yeah, right, let's go on to our right-back in our team of the season. We've gone for Connor Roberts of Burnley. Now, we saw a couple of seasons ago when he was at Swansea, Connor Roberts is too good for the championship and nothing's changed in that time. When it comes to modern-day fullbacks, he's excellent going forwards and defensively. He's got horse lungs. He has got the lungs of a horse. If he was competing in the Grand National, he'd last the whole journey. Might struggle to get over the fences, but the running side of it He'd be great. His data is very impressive as well. Out of all the players who have played the majority of their team's minutes this season, only three have played more progressive passes per 90 minutes than Connor Roberts. He's in the top 10 for the furthest distance, carrying the ball as well. Both very impressive stats when you remember that. He's a right-back after all. He scored some important goals too, like the winner against Middlesbrough last month. And I hope we won't be seeing Connor Roberts in the Championship again anytime soon, if I'm being perfectly honest, because... I haven't got anything against him. It's just very clear that he shouldn't be playing at this level. His talent deserves better than to be continuously playing at championship level. He's 27 now, a bit older than I thought he was, to be honest. But I'd hope the next four or five years of his career, at least, are played at the top level because he's a top level player. I I completely agree with you. It's difficult to find. I mean, right back has been a difficult position this season because I haven't been too many massively standout candidates but when you do look into the numbers of Connor Roberts it's hard to it's hard to take him out and when you consider that he's been a part of the best defensive uh, team in the division um, it's 
it's it's well worth his place. Ten goal contributions as well from from right back is is no mean feat. It's a very impressive, impre- very impressive number. And um, wing backs are so important to Vincent Kompany's system. Without them, without the uh, the engines they've got, without the um, tenacity, without the, the the ability to create space for their wide players in front of them, I don't think Vincent Kompany's system works effectively enough as it has done. So Conor Roberts. Hats off, you've been outstanding once again. Yeah, honourable mentions. There isn't any, really. <laughs> I don't want it to sound like we've just given Connor Roberts right back of the year out of default. He does deserve it, but there hasn't really been any standout contenders alongside him. And I do think a reason for that is, you know, Sheffield United have been rotating between Bulldog and Bogle all season. Mm-hmm. Luton have had James Bree in the first half of the season, kind of drama in the second half of the season. Middlesbrough, Tommy Smith, fair play, maybe he, he he's an honourable mention. Coventry have been the same as Luton, really. I had two right-backs in either half of the season. Then Sunderland have had multiple players play right-back. <laughs> yeah, maybe everybody. Trey Hume's the standout one there. But yeah, just not really any other standout right-backs, particularly. But Conor Roberts does deserve it. I don't want to take anything away from him there. Centre-back. Well, first one is Tom Lockyer of Luton. And... If someone makes a team of the season and doesn't include a Luton player, I can understand it to a certain extent. They're they're a side which has about 10 or so players who have had at least an 8 out of 10 season, aren't Mm -hmm. they? It's been a real team effort, the success of Luton this season. And there aren't too many players who stand out from the pack in terms of overwhelming individual success. But one of them, without a doubt, is Tom Lockyer. He's the captain and has truly led from the back, Anty. Only one outfield player has played more minutes than him in a Luton shirt. And they have the second best defensive record in the division. A large part of that is because of Tom Lockyer. And I mean, some of the stats he's posted this season are ridiculous. He's in the top five for clearances uh, per game, in the top 10 for shots blocked per game, in the top 10 defenders for headers won per game, in the top 20 for interceptions per game. I mean, what more? Can you realistically ask of this guy being one of the best defenders in every category in the division this season? He's just been exceptional. And like Luton, he's also had an incredible rise through the divisions. He was playing non-league football eight years ago with Bristol Rovers, has worked his way up through the leagues and could very well be playing in the Premier League next season. It is an amazing story for him. Yeah, to be a part of a team that's kept 20 clean sheets this season. It's, it's quite remarkable. Free transfer as well from Charlton. Was pretty enough by Charlton fans when he signed for Luton. He's now one of the division's best defenders. He was frustrated at his lack of game time last season as well, which is quite telling. But now he's he's really stepped up and become one of the best defenders in the league. We saw it with Carl Naismith last season, how he stepped up and was one of the best defenders in the league. And Tom Lockie has done the same thing. Must be something in the water down in uh, Luton to be able to do that. Again, you're asking a lot of your your defenders, and he's he's been a standout one. He's been a standout one for Luton, and you can't you can't not you can't not include him because of those stats. He's been so consistent and such a, a pivotal member of that team. A little bit of a shit house as well, which you've you've got to love. Oh yeah, absolutely. We'll always applaud anyone who is an expertise in the shit house art. <laughs> Justin, who's our other centre back? The other one, I mean, we know what you're going to say about it, but it's Taylor Harwood Bellis of, of Burnley. Um, we we don't need to, we don't need to uh, give him the cliches, but I I think there's a lot here that needs to be said about him that isn't cliched. For example, he stepped up remarkably. One area that I've banged the drum for pretty much two thirds of this season with with uh, with Burnley is needing to 
bring in an experienced centre half. They lost Tarkovsky and Ben Mee in the summer, and I was worried about how young the defenders were. I know Charlie um, Charlie Taylor has come in and he's he's been a useful asset, but he's not been a regular in in the way Taylor Harwood Bellas has. Um, and as I say, that experience has been something that I thought they'd they'd need and that they've lacked. But Harwood Bellas has stepped up. He's shown his leadership. He's playing with maturity, and he's playing as a player who's played way more games than he has. He's playing way well beyond his years. He surprised me. Burnley have surprised me. And again, when you're looking for composed defenders to really set things up from the back, Howard Bellis has been a fantastic asset for Burnley. Again, company system doesn't work. A good free-flowing possession-based system doesn't work if your defenders cannot play from the back. And Taylor Howard Bellis has been the definition of a defender being able to play from the back. He's brave, as I say, mature, displayed a hell of a lot of leadership and he's a good defender as well if he's not playing at the top level next season I'm going to kick off Ryan I'm going to kick off as will I this was a really close one between Harwood Bellis and his defensive partner Jordan Bayer both have had fantastic seasons but I think THB just edges him it's quite rare for a centre-back to be playing regularly in the championship at the age of 21 that's quite young in centre-back years isn't it but I mean, it's particularly rare for one to play just as well as he has. He is a brilliant defender. Only one other defender has more interceptions per game than him this season. But it's the playing out from the back, which is his most impressive skill set. No one has progressively carried the ball further than him this season. Only four other defenders have completed more progressive passes per 90 minutes than him. I mean, you can tell he's from the Man City Academy, can't you? But what he brings to the team is so important in this Vincent Company system, playing out from the back, being comfortable on the ball. He's got it. Oh, baby, he's got it. And I've said it before, I think this lad will play for England. That is still very much the case in my mind. A lot of that Will depend on where he plays his football next season. I said similar things about Levi Colwell last season and he's been lost in the shuffle at Chelsea. So it'll be great to see him back at Turf Moor and I'm sure everyone there would like that as well. Honourable mentions Jordan Bayer, as we say, at Burnley. Onel Adbank Hodzic at Sheffield United. And Jordan Storey at Preston as well. Quite an underrated player who's had a really, really good season. Our left back is Ryan Giles of Middlesbrough. Now, I rate this lad incredibly highly when it comes to fullbacks who are incredible crosses of the ball that's Ryan Giles he's not the kind of fullback who will run at defenders necessarily he likes to get the ball and cross it from deep and I'm guessing I think he's kind of like a left-footed Kieran Trippier because he makes things happen doesn't he despite not being the best dribbler in the world but he he's got the most joint assists in the division with 11 incredible really for a defender and even more incredibly he's got the highest expected assists per 90 minutes in the whole division out of the players who played the majority of their team's games i mean that is remarkable for as i say a left back he is traditionally a left winger but since being dropped further back by michael carrick he is really excelled is he the best defender in the world maybe not but he more than makes up for that with his attacking output which is just out of this world and is one of the three reasons why Middlesbrough are the second highest top scorers in the division Gareth Southgate was complaining not too long ago about the lack of options at left back in the Premier League for England and was saying he might have to start looking in the championship Get Ryan Giles involved, Gareth. I mean, Harry Kane would have a field day with Ryan Giles' crossing, but I mean, what a player, Justin. 
It is incredible, as you say, eleven assists from from left back or left wing back, however however way you want to describe it, is is fantastic. We saw how important wing backs were last season for Middlesbrough of Isaiah Jones, and Ryan Giles has, has stepped in again this season. I think that partnership with Riley McGree, where Riley McGree almost has a, a you know a roam a free roam that gives that gives Ryan Giles a license to exploit the space up the left flank. And be, yeah, find penetrating balls for for the forwards. It, it's really a really good setup, and that setup's got the best out of Giles, and Giles has got the best out of his time at Middlesbrough. Again, he's a player who should be playing much at a much higher level next season because of what he's displayed. As you say, defensively he can improve, dropping back into a left left fullback role is a difficult transition for an attacking-minded player to go from a left winger to a left wing back to a left fullback, albeit an adventurous one. Is a difficult transition, but I think Giles has managed it well. And again, if you are going to improve areas of his game, it is a defensive side. But going forwards, there's no complaints there. He's a fantastic asset for for Middlesbrough, and he could have a big say in the playoffs because playoff games are settled by moments of quality, and he's delivered that time and time again. Absolutely. Honourable mentions Ian Martson of Burnley, Ryan Manning at Swansea as well. Centre mid, we'll go with Ollie Norwood of Sheffield United first of all, and. Ollie Norwood has had quite a spectacular season from a statistical perspective. He's third in the division for most tackles and interceptions combined. So that's the defensive side of it. From a passing perspective, I mean, wow. He's completed more long passes than any other outfielder. He's second for progressive passes, sixth for chances created, fifth for expected assists. He's a deep-lying playmaker. He doesn't really have the right to be producing as many chances as he has been. And, I mean, as far as deep-line playmakers go, you could not ask for anything more from this guy. He's not the kind of player who will grab headlines. In fact, judging from what I see Sheffield United fans say, he's criminally underrated by plenty of supporters there. In fact, for me, I'd put him in my top three players of the season. He's had an incredible campaign, really. He's definitely one for the purists in what he brings to the team. If you spend a Sheffield United game just keeping your eye on Ollie Norwood, you'll appreciate how quality a player he is. And he is the heartbeat of this Sheffield United side. He is like Vecna from Stranger Things. That was a comparison I made before. He can just controls everything around him. And also considering what he's achieved in his career and how consistently brilliant he's been over a number of years now, He's a fully-fledged championship legend, isn't he? I was going to say, is it possible to build a statue for Norwood? Where does it go? Outside the EFL headquarters in Preston? Where does it go? I, I, I'd put it there, but I would also like him to be in kind of a Vecna pro, a pose and he's got tentacles coming <laughs> off the statue. <laughs> wow, Norwood and his tentacles. Incredible. Um, there's not much else you can really say about Norwood because he's... he's a criminally underrated player to the extent where he's not underrated and maybe he's actually vastly rated by a lot of people. I think if you break down his, his stats even more, he's, he's, he's 57 tackles in a defensive third. He's the fourth most in the division. He's the shield that's kept it tight for, for Sheffield United. He's made the sixth most tackles in the middle third as well. So turning possession over for, for the Blaze to break has been a key key thing for them over the course of the campaign and over the course of Heckingbottom's reign as well Norwood central to that without Norwood throughout the majority of the season Sheffield United don't tick they just don't tick it's as simple as that he's the he's the battery and the cogs behind the Sheffield United clock that keeps it going 
24-7. There's no player like him in the division. He's an incredible player. So many incredible metaphors to describe <laughs> Ollie Norwood here on the second tier. Justin, who's our other sentiment? We've gone with Josh Brownhill of Burnley. And there's not been too many other candidates who's had much of an impact as him. Looking at his goal contributions, for example, exceptional, 15 so far, or 15 altogether this season. Again, he's he's been a player who's really stepped up. He's a player that I criticised as well last season in the Premier League for, for Burnley. I don't think he was a player that really was stepping up or, or had the capability to step up. And I was a bit sceptical of him this season. My oh my, he's been brilliant. Really, really good. And if you go back to the start of the campaign where he was scoring decisive screamer after screamer as well he's just been a, a a remarkable remarkable player and it's not going to it's not a turnaround either he has been consistent I just haven't valued his his input again when we're talking about consistency he's been the heartbeat of the, uh, of the Burnley midfield he's been a mainstay in that team him and his partnership with Josh Cullen has been fantastic as well and again he's a player who's had to step up and be a decisive figure in that final third Whenever there's attacking actions happening, he's at the heartbeat of, it, heartbeat of it, wherever it's arriving late in the box or keeping possession ticking over. He served as a very, very good cog like Norwood in keeping that possession-based system ticking over, getting it to the flare players and getting the ball in the box, however way they do it. Just a remarkable player, having a remarkable season, well worth the investment a couple of years ago. Yeah, I think when Brownhill was in the Premier League, we didn't really appreciate how good a player he was. Sean Dyche's football maybe didn't help with that. When he drops down to the Championship, you start to realise he is a baller. Same goes with the likes of Jack Cork, Nathan Teller. He is the perfect all-action Championship midfielder. He can play as a number 10, a number 8. He can play a bit deeper. He's a manager's dream, really, isn't he? And an absolute workhorse in midfield, but also... Very capable on the ball. Seven goals for the season, eight assists. Very good figures for a, a guy who you wouldn't put in the category of being a mainly attacking player, but he still managed to produce the goods. And he's arguably been Burnley's best player this season. And remember, considering Burnley is possibly the best side ever at championship level, you simply can't leave him out. Honourable mentions, I mean, Gustavo Hamer was very unfortunate to miss out on this yeah. team. It was a really, it was basically a three-horse race for these two midfield positions once and Hamer's only just missed out. Ben Sheaf also of Coventry has had a really good season. Josh Cullen, who we mentioned not too long ago at Burnley. And Jordan Clark of Luton, another underrated player who's had a really good season. On number 10, who else could it be? It's Tubrag Palm of Middlesbrough. I mean, what an incredible unbelievable and slightly strange season Tubrakpom has had. At the beginning of the season, he wasn't given a squad number at Middlesbrough. And I don't think any Middlesbrough fan would have been too bothered if he left. And I wouldn't have blamed them either. Before this season, he only scored eight goals in 104 league games in English football. So to get 28 goals this season is nothing short of insane. Since Michael Carrick's come in, Akpom has only failed to score in 10 from 30 games. Out of all the players who have started more than 20 games, he has the best shot conversion rate in the division. If people even dare to question how well Michael Carrick has done at Middlesbrough, all you have to do is just hold up a picture of Tuber Akpom. That's the end of the debate right there. I have no idea how he's turned this man into the goal-scoring machine that he is now, but it's truly astounding. It's Neil Warnock levels with Adol Tarapt, isn't it? Getting the best out of an individual. I don't think mm. there are too many instances of a manager 
truly recognising the strengths of a person and the skills of a, of a player and building the team around them because that's what Middlesbrough have done in an attacking sense. They've built the team around Akpom. Riley McGree having that free that free role has, has, has given them another another number 10, another playmaker. And obviously Ryan Giles is essentially playing as a winger in that final third. Then you've got the poetry instincts of Cameron Archer, for example. And Chabratpom's had a licence to find space. He's been a very, a definition of a, a second striker, a Thomas Muller type character where you're just going to be finding space to exploit uh, defences to get on the back of crosses, loose balls, and Akpom's done it. And his finishing has been absolutely incredible. He's been the first player since Fabrizio Ravinelli to score 20 goals in all competitions for Middlesbrough. He's been the first Stat. player. Uh, that's mid-90s as well. And he became the first player to hit 20 goals since Bernie Slavin in 1990 for Middlesbrough. Middlesbrough have lacked... I, I could not believe that Middlesbrough have lacked a goal scorer for that long. It's absolutely incredible. When you consider that the last time they got promoted under Karanka, I think Kike had nine or ten goals. And Dave Nugent had eight goals. Not that they were a poor team, but they didn't have a goal scorer. Akpom has, has, has delivered. He's delivered. And scored 28 a season for any forward is, is genuinely a difficult feat as well. Only six players have done it since in the last 23 years. Mitrovic, Tony, those sorts of players, Slanky. This is a um, no mean feat. This is incredible. And he's got the opportunity to score more as well in the playoffs. He's got three more to get to 30. What a season that would be if he did. Oh, yeah, definitely. Honourable mention, João Pedro at Watford. Been kicked to shit all season, but has been the shining light in Watford season. And <laughs> Zian Fleming at Millwall as well. He's been a really, really good signing for them. Justin, who's our right forward in our team of the season? Our right forward It's a fluid front three. It's worth mentioning before people kick off about positions. Um, but we've got Mividerman and Dai. I mean, it's one of the easier picks, isn't it? It's He's been key for the Blades. Tight games where he's made a difference at times during a game where he's carried the ball out of danger. I don't think you can really underestimate just how important he has been. Um, I'm not saying Sheffield United have been a one-man team because we've already praised Oli Nova to high heaven. But Edelman and Dai has been that key figure in that final third that has made the difference in so many games. And as I say, the ability to carry the ball out of danger, getting Sheffield United further up the pitch... That ability alone is so important to a squad. So important to a to a in a match situation in, in a in a situation where you might be under the cosh, because it as I say it carries the ball out of danger. It leaves pressure on your defenders. Couple that with fourteen goals and ten assists. He's also the best one of the best dribblers in the league as well. Don't think there's a more complete attacker. And I don't think we'll see a more complete attacker in the league. He's unselfish as well. He's confident and he's clinical. To have all of that in just your second full season. As a starting uh, starting player is yeah incredible and again called up for Senegal, went to the World Cup. Don't think you can have many better seasons than this. Well, I love watching Endai. He plays the most entertaining player in the division for my money. He can just turn possession into a dangerous attack with a moment's notice, and it's just so thrilling to watch his dribbling is brilliant he's so creative he's one of only two players this season to get double figures for goals and assists which is always a good barometer for a good season it also shows that he's got an end product so often you see these players who are quick and can dribble and then when it comes to that cross or a shot it usually ends up in rosette he can finish he can put it on a plate for his teammates and you go back to, you go back to last season he was very inconsistent you would produce the odd moment here or there and you can see that there was a player there it was just about getting it out of him this season he has done that he's been causing chaos in defenses 
all year round and Paul Heckingbottom probably deserves a lot of credit for Ndai's rise alone because he's turning out to be a top top player honourable mentions Ahmad Diallo at Sunderland ran that very close with his end of season performances Jed Wallace at West Brom Manuel Benson of Burnley as well our centre forward is Victor Jokerez of Coventry pretty obvious pick this one wants it I can't remember the last time we saw a striker in the championship was as complete a forward as Vitor Jokeres. 21 goals for the season. He's also the only other player alongside Ndai to have double figures for goals and assists. No striker has a higher expected assists than Jokeres. I mean, 20 plus goals, but also the most expected assists for a striker. That is amazing. But it's not just that. He's an incredible dribbler, an excellent dribbler, and that may play into how many assists he's picked up. Um, you don't expect six foot two strikers to be very good at dribbling, but he is, and he's strong, he's quick. I think a perfect example of how complete a striker he is is his goal against Wigan from earlier in the season around autumn time controls the ball on the half ray line with a lovely touch uses his strength to hold off the challenges of two players and then just breezes away from them with his pace before smashing it past the goalkeeper this guy's a Premier League striker and I'm sure he will be playing in the top flight next season with or without Coventry City I love Gokarez I think if it wasn't for his contract running down or him being in the last year of his contract I should say Coventry would easily get over 20 million for him if you look at Ollie Watkins and Saeed Benrahma both going for 25 million each Gokarez could easily fetch that figure it's just a shame that um, that's the case if Coventry were to, to sell him that he's in, his last, in the last year of his contract as you say don't think there's a more complete forward in the division again don't think we've seen too many more complete strikers in the division and let's let's you know let's bear our thoughts to how often he's needed to be the decisive factor for Coventry. They've not had Callum O'Hare for virtually the whole season. Matty Gordon's, I think, only played 25, 26 games this season. He's been missing for large portions of it. Gilchrist has been the main figure in that final third, or main figure in the team. He's been relied upon, and Coventry have built the team around him, and he's thrived upon it. An incredible player. Certainly could improve his finishing, which is a frightening frightening thing for a player to have scored 21 goals this season and still have areas of improvement is 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 absolutely absurd just just love him I, there's no i don't think there's any other way of just like expressing affection for a for a forward he's such a good player to watch and um yeah it's hopefully we see him again in the championship next season because you don't want to lose players like this at all we're, we're losing too many this season they're all they're all going away ryan they're all going away I think you'll be very, very lucky if uh, you, you see Victor Jokeres in the Championship again next season. Honourable mentions Carlton Morris at Luton, who's had an exceptional season in his own right. And finally, Justin, who is our left forward in our team of the season? It's Nathan Teller of Burnley, and I think he's gone under the radar this season. Maybe unfairly, maybe because Burnley have been so good. Just haven't seen too many people praise him that often, especially on social media. But he's been a real spark for Burnley and a reliable source of goals. I expected Jay Rodriguez to be in contention for the Golden Boot and he's not quite stepped up. He's had injuries, of course. So you are wondering where the goals are going to come from. And my oh my, Nathan Teller has stepped up. It's been his first full campaign. He's made the most appearances this season than he has in any of his previous four or five. And it's obviously it's the most goals he's scored in his career, 17. He's proved his versatility as well, playing centrally or out wide. I think that was, I can't remember what game it was now, but there was a game where he scored two headers where he snuck in in between defenders. 
he's got that instinct, which again surprised me because of the lack of games he's had up into up in his career until now. But he's been given a lot of praise, well, a lot of praise, a lot of faith from Vincent Company, which is, he's thrived upon. And I don't think you can really give too many criticisms of his season. He's been again a reliable source of of goals for a Burnley team who you could argue have lacked goals in that final third from from players. And he's been consistent as well, which again is a very difficult thing to do when it's your first full career as a professional or as a regular starter. So Nathan Teller, hats off again. You've surprised me. He's been brilliant. Yeah, definitely. And I think I'm I think I might be right in saying that. He'd only scored like two or three league goals prior to this season. So for him to get 17 goals this season is incredible. Why did Southampton let him go out on loan? It has to go down as one of the mm-hmm. weirdest decisions ever. They've been awful in the Premier League this season. Well, Teller's been having the season of his life. Out of all the players with more than 20 starts, only Tuber Akpom has a better shot conversion rate than him. He's got 17 goals from an XG of just over 10. I mean, that deadliness in front of goal is something we haven't really seen before from him. But he's been so important for Burnley. And if there's one obvious weakness with them, it's centre forward. But it doesn't really matter when you've got players like Teller who don't need to be asked twice to find the back of the net. Combine that with his pace and you've got yourself a luxury player, really, at championship level. And I'm sure Burnley will be very keen to get him back next season. Honourable mentions, Ben Brereton-Diaz didn't have a great second half of the season, but first half of the season, we've got to remember, he was very good. And then Jack Clark at Sunderland has had a really excellent season, considering previously he's been a bit underwhelming, hasn't he? Mm-hmm. But well, he's been one of Sunderland's best players this season. Just quickly, Justin, before we go through our other awards and have a quick break, let's run through our team of the season. Then who have we got in goal, JP? We've got Vic T. Hanson of Rotherham. In defence, we have Connor Roberts at right-back, Tom Lockyer at centre-back, Taylor Harwood-Bellis as our other centre-back, and then Ryan Giles at left-back. Who's in midfield, Justin? We've got Ollie Norwood from Sheffield United at centre-mid, and we've got Josh Brownhill partnering with Burnley. They're Chubapom as a, as a number 10 in front of him. And then our forward line includes Ilman Indai of Sheffield United as our right forward, Victor Jokerez of Coventry as our centre-forward, and then our left forward is Nathan Teller of Burnley so as I say let's have a quick break after that we'll talk through our other awards including player of the season young player of the season and manager of the season back to the second tier podcast it's the second tier awards and we're not going to stop with our awards anytime soon it's time for us to talk about permanent signing of the season and we've gone with Luton Towns Colton Morris now Justin you've been speaking about him non-stop all season it's only fair that you take the lead on this one <laughs> I don't think I need to do I have pretty much said it he's a very good player um, but no he's yeah Again, I'm struggling to find words really to articulate how much I love this guy. It's it's uh, it's a bit like Alan Partridge with his stalker. It's incredible, really. He will go down in history as one of the best signings in Championship. Um, as far as fees paid in the region of 1.5 million, it's a bargain, and that's returned 20 goals and seven assists. He's a player who can take it on his right foot, his left foot, and he's a you know physical player, so he can he can make a nuisance of himself in the box as well. There aren't many who can do it as effectively and consistently as him. This has been his best return of goals in his career to date. It's also been his best run of starts in his career to date as well. I've always said prior to this season, the key thing for Carlton Morris getting amongst the goals is staying fit. And he has done and he's delivered. 
Norwich will be kicking themselves for allowing him to go a couple of seasons ago. I think he certainly could have been a player who really could have made a difference, especially now, especially now Timo Puki is leaving. He's a player that they're going to have to, you know, if they want to replace someone like Timo Puki, of course I'm just speculating, but I'm trying to reference just how good a player Colton Morris is. He can replace any player, but to replace him, you're going to have to be spending 15 to 20 million pounds because there's not many forwards who've got that full package in their repertoire that Cotton Morris has. There really isn't. Victor Giocres is one of them. Cotton Morris is the other. There's just no other player I think comes close to signing the season. Considering you were struggling for words not long ago, you sure found a lot of words all of a sudden, didn't you? <laughs> um, I mean, when Luton made this signing, I'm not sure even they would have imagined it going as well as it has done. Having said that, with how good Luton's recruitment is, maybe they did. They don't spend a lot of money do they? So when they fork out more than a million pounds for someone, you know he's going to be pretty good. He is just the all-round striker. He's lightning quick, exceptional in the air. He scored eight goals this season with his right foot, six with his left, six with his head. Sums up how much of an all-round striker he is. And he has been that focal point for them, that reliable goal scorer that Luton have lacked in recent seasons. And if they didn't have him, I don't think they would be third in the table. Simple as that. So that's why we put him ahead of other players with regards to this award, just because he's just such an important part of this Luton team. Honourable mentions, Zion Fleming at Millwall, Anil Admet Hodzit at Sheffield United, Manuel Benson at Burnley. All have had exceptional seasons. Let's go on to loan signing of the season, Justin. Who we got? We've gone with Ahmad Diallo or something. Again, this was, uh, this was the only contentious one I think we, we spoke about, but... I think when you really break down his performances as in, and his impact on this Sunderland team, brilliant. And when you're talking about match-winning ability, he's got it in abundance. And it proves that you don't judge a player too soon. A lot of play, a lot of people wrote Diallo off very, very quickly. He's just 21 years old. And yes, the fee that Man United paid for him was excessive. But it just goes to show just having a loan spell can really spark a player's career. And he's shown that. And he's not even been a bona fide regular for Sunderland either. 27 starts and 10 sub-appearances, but the impact he's made has been remarkable. 13 goals as well. Only uh, Jack Clark and Patrick Roberts have a better dribbling completion than him, and he's 6th in the league when it comes to completed dribbles. So as I say, as far as Sparks go in a team that needed it coming in from League One, he's he's provided it in abundance. Just again, do, do not write players off too early. Yeah, without Diallo, Sunderland probably wouldn't have made it to the playoffs, would they? We both thought... It was unlikely they were going to do it when Ross Stewart got injured. That's a lot of goals being taken away from this team. Diallo has gone a long way to making up for it. He's given them that X factor and has really grown into the season, hasn't he? It took a while for him to get going, but he's just got better and better as the year has gone on. He scored 13 goals from an XG of just eight. And that's astonishing how clinical he's been. And defenders can try all they might to stop him from shooting, but he's just such a tricky dribbler and he's so quick as well that he's really difficult to stop when he gets going. A brilliant player and at the age of 2021, he has got a massive future ahead of him. Honourable mentions for loan signing of the season, Nathan Teller at Burnley. He ran this one really close. It was really between Diallo and Teller for this one. Taylor Harwood-Bellis of Burnley as well. Jordan Payer of Burnley too. Um, and then Ryan Giles of Middlesbrough as well. Shithouse of the season. This is a new award that we've decided to introduce because we, we're both 
fan of uh, big, big big fans of shithousery aren't we and sometimes it deserves recognition there's only one standout winner of this though in there Sunderland's Luke 9 this man has redefined shithousery he is a shithouse pioneer he set a new standard for the art of shithousery whether it's jumping on Alex Scott's back when he's trying to do a counter-attack or giving Jacob Sorensen a big old kiss when Sunderland were at Carrow Road he is box office and you never know what's going to happen next with him the man is the living embodiment of passion in C but look he he's a really good player and an integral part of this Sunderland team it's a young side who play lovely footballs arguably some of the best in the division you need someone who gives the team a bit of bite someone who can be a leader and he does that he is a mind games master and there's a reason why he's not the most popular player in the championship he's one of those that you love when he's in your team but you hate if you're an opposition supporter but I mean I don't think anyone comes close in terms of shithousery do they they don't but the thing is he does it with a smile on his face so you say you hate him as a opposition supporter how can you hate him when he's just pulling off the biggest smile after some classic shithousing <laughs> It's impossible. You've just got to go, oh, I'll let you off then. You, you, you're effing and jeffing at him for stopping a counter-attack. But then he's just smiling. You go, you sweet, sweet man. I can't hate you. Can't stay mad at you. Can't stay mad at you. <laughs> it's just one of them things. But he's a player you want in your team. He does a dark dark art side of things very, very well. And every every team needs it. But he's, uh, he's, be, he's by far been a, a mainstay. And again, worth pointing out that he's played pretty much every position in defence as well for for Sunderland. So whilst it's not a shithouse-focused stat or praise to give him, to be able to do that and to be be able to be as consistent as he has been has been fantastic. Let's go to goal of the season. I'll start off by saying the standard of goal this season has been sensational, without a doubt, the best since we started doing the podcast, Justin. But we've given it to Brad Potts for his worldie for Preston against Luton. There were at least two other goals which would have won this award in normal seasons, but it's just got to be that Potts goal, infamously known as the goal which was apparently scored by Erling Haaland's brother. Um, for those who don't know, there was a, a load of misleading tweets earlier this season saying this goal was scored by <laughs> Erling Haaland's brother in Norway. Not really sure how that started. Anyway, let's talk about the beauty of this goal. The cross comes in from Robbie Brady, a lovely ball, but Potts has still got a lot of work to do to make it worthwhile, but wow does he do that scoring a bicycle kick he leaps so high that when he connects with it his foot is at the same height as the nearest Luton defender's head but 99% of the time a player tries that and he either completely misses the ball makes himself look silly by air shotting it or it goes flying into Rosehead or maybe at Kenilworth Road it goes flying out the stadium into Dunstable somewhere but the technique to just keep it down let alone find the top corner, is absolutely outrageous. It's up there as one of the best goals the Championship has ever seen for me. Up there with the likes of Ruben Neves and John McGinn's goals. Simply beautiful. A big a big factor for choosing these goals is the team's got to have got something from this game. And obviously Preston come away with a 1-0 win, albeit in August. Um, but you just can't... You can't under-describe or 
you underestimate just how good a goal this was. A lot of people, when discussing it, with obviously the Ishmaela saw goal that won goal of the season from the EFO. A lot of people saying, well, he could have headed this. Brad Potts could have headed this. But he didn't. He did something so much better. He did I'm something not, so I'm, outrageous. I'm not sure he could have headed it. I don't think. He probably couldn't have because it was probably too low for him. It was that midriff height or chest height where to generate that sort of power is quite difficult. The cross is almost perfect, probably a little bit overhit by Robbie Brady. So Brad mm. Potts has got so much to do to it. And you've only got to look at Ethan Horvath's reaction in goal, in the Luton goal. It doesn't move. It doesn't move. It just flashes past him so quickly. It's one of those that you want to witness, even as an opposition player, you're just going to stand up and applaud it and go, wow, 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 that's not happened very often. Brad Potts won't repeat that sort of goal um, in his career. And I'm not comparing it to Marco Van Basten's full volley, kids go on YouTube, blah, blah, blah. Um, but it's that sort of technique that is at an angle that is so difficult to score. I can't I can't praise this goal highly enough. It was, it was just ridiculous, outrageous. And when goals are outrageous, then they're a good contender for a goal of the season. Yeah, absolutely. And here's some more outrageous goals, which, as I say, would have won goal of the season in normal season. Marcelino Nunes's volley for Norwich against Birmingham. That was... That was a real beauty. I think maybe he was let down by the fact it didn't go in the top corner. If it was slightly <laughs> higher, he, he probably would have walked away with goal of the century in the championship. But, uh, I mean, that was still a remarkable strike. And then Jack Clark's team goal for Sunderland against Reading. As far as team goals go, that was a real beauty and really sums up the beautiful football that Sunderland have shown on a regular basis. Young player of the season, we... Go for 21 or younger when it comes to young player of the season. And we've gone with Ahmad Diallo again of Sunderland. Now, we don't need to repeat ourselves here, Justin. We've already spoken about him for loan signing of the season. What I can ask you is, where do you think he should be playing football next season? He is only 20. Could he or should he be given a go at Manchester United? Uh, With Eric Ten Hag, potentially. He's. I mean, you look at Garnacho, for example, and the impact he's had. And if you look at Diallo and the impact he could have, I think Diallo maybe needs another season either in the Championship or at least in a top-flight team elsewhere that isn't as you know isn't a physical league like the Premier League, just to allow him to develop. Because again, 27 starts, there's certainly room for improvement there. Um, but you only have to look at this quality of his end product to see that there is a there's a player there. There's certainly a player there. And again, for him to fit into a style of play and to buy into the philosophy at Sunderland. Sunderland have struggled for a forward all season. They've not had a, a bona fide number nine all season. The players have had to step up and Jarlo has. And that, that takes a lot of, again, a lot of maturity and a lot of awareness of the situation you're in. Um, a lot of players, a lot of young players will not thrive in that situation. Uh, but Jarlo has. So I think for him to be given a go at Man United might be a season too soon. I think there's a lot of development that needs to be done. But again, it doesn't doesn't uh, have an impact on how good he's been this season. I think I, I'd like to see him playing in a top flight elsewhere, a less physical league, just to really, really showcase his ability because he's got it. He certainly has got it. I would disagree on that bit. I think he's got to be playing Premier League football next season just so we can get used to the physicality of the whole thing. Whether it's with Manchester United, I think if he was given a chance, he would flourish. The issue is he's got a lot of players... Who, were, who play in the same position at Man United. Jadon Sancho, Anthony, both cost nearly £100 million. So if you're in Eric Ten Hag's shoes, you'll be under a bit of pressure to play those two ahead of a young lad who, 
may very well end up being a better player than both of them. I wouldn't rule it out, but how much of a chance he'd get at Man U, I'm not too sure. So at least alone in the Premier League, maybe with Sunderland. Who knows? But he, he's got to be playing Premier League football next season for me. Honourable mentions, of course, Alex Scott at Bristol City. People may think he deserves it. I think if you're basing the awards on who's got the most potential, then he would probably win it. But it's not. It's based on which player, age 21 or younger, has played the best this season. And Diallo wins that quite easily compared to Scott, in my opinion. Taylor Harwood-Bellis at Burnley in Martin of Burnley as well. Someone we haven't really mentioned on the show so far. Uh, João Pedro at Watford as well. Now it's time for manager of the season, Justin. I wonder who this could be. <laughs> Vincent Company. The man, the not the myth, he's definitely not the myth, just the man. What a man. Incredible season from Vincent Kupney. And the only reason why he's he's got this award ahead of, I think, uh, because I agreed with you on this, but the only reason why he's pipped Mark Robbins for me is because he's, he's ran away with the league so emphatically and the work that he's done to run away with the league so emphatically. So let's say, for example, he takes over in the summer and he carries on that rigid, structured style of play. It's got Burnley promoted twice in the past under Sean Dyche. There's no reason why they can't do it again as long as they recruit the right players. But he didn't. He ripped that up and started again. Usually, when you're starting a new transition, uh, yeah, sorry, well, you're transitioning to a new style of play, it takes time to bed in. Took four or five games to Burnley for Burnley to get going in the league. And then they didn't stop. I expected them to at least stop a little bit. They didn't. They carried on little bit of a stumble towards the end of the season but when a little bit of a stumble is just one defeat is that really a stumble it's, it's, it's a mild trip on a slightly elevated pavement isn't it it's nothing and that's down to the hard work that Vincent Company's put in the the involvement in the transfer philosophy as well again has been important whilst as a recruitment team Vincent Company spent a lot of time in Belgium I've seen him numerous pictures of watching players at games he went to see Lyle Foster in January for example I don't think you can really underestimate just how much of an impact Vincent Company has had on Burnley. He's, he's revitalised what I think was becoming a stale football club under Sean Dyche. Did a lot of good things, Sean Dyche, but Vincent Company's taken him to the next level and I hope that he can take him even further in the Premier League because, yeah, the season he's had this season, the turnaround has just been fantastic. The Huddersfield game was ridiculous, that first game of the season. Did not expect it at all and they carried on. Yeah, I think that's the stunning thing, isn't it? When we all sat down to watch Burnley, how they do in the Championship, and we're like, what on earth is going on? What's happened to Burnley? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there have been some brilliant managers this season, and they all pale in comparison to what Vincent Company has done this season. When Burnley got relegated, there were fears that they could go down again. Company comes in and turns this Burnley side into one of the best ever at championship level, in my opinion, the best. He had to integrate something like 15 new players last summer. Contrary to popular belief of rival fans, they didn't spend a sum of money equivalent to that of a small nation's GDP. And to top it all off, they've done it in style. They've played arguably the best football in the league. They finished the season with the sixth best defensive record in championship history, scored the 10th most goals in championship history, the one of only four teams in championship history to win more than 100 points in a season. We had to choose Vincent Company for manager of the season. It's one of the best managerial jobs I reckon we've ever seen at this level. And he's going to be an elite coach one day. I'm sure of that. And the fact that you've got the likes of Chelsea and Tottenham already sniffing around him, he's now hurried them away. Um, <laughs> I think that says a lot about how good a job he's done this season. And 
how much potential he's got as a manager. Honourable mentions, I mean, the rest of the managers in the top six, either all of them could have really yeah. won it in a normal season, but you can't really compare to what Vincent Kompany has done at Burnley this season. And that's it, ladies and gentlemen. The only award left for us is Player of the Season, and it's Middlesbrough's Tuba Akpom. It was a bit of a tight one this season, really. We've been spoilt in past seasons where it's been a fairly obvious choice with the likes of Alexander Mitrovic scoring a million goals. But Tuba Akpom may not have had a season at quite the same standard as that. But don't let that take away from what has been an incredible campaign. At the risk of repeating myself, if you said to me at the start of the season, Tuba Akpom would win per the season, I would have laughed in your face, Justin, and called someone up to section you. It's been quite an unprecedented rise from him, and I'm not sure we'll ever see anything again like it. You've only got to look at his past career uh, history, really, of him being able to become a reliable source of goals. He's he's been used of that of a you know a pressing forward, a bit of a, a bit part player, a squad player, and he's now stepped up to become <laughs> emphatically one of the most effective players in recent history for Middlesbrough. Yeah, let's let's say for example that you, they get promoted. I don't. Yeah, he, he almost earns cult legendary status at the club because of his because of his goals. And again, to have that impact on a player who was signed as a a bit of a well, why have we spent that money on him sort of player to becoming we cannot drop him. He has to stay. Please sign a new deal. You're not going anywhere. It's a remarkable turnaround. And again, you've got to credit Akpom. Every single interview I've seen him do. He's been so grateful of the impact of Michael Carrick and I think that's quite telling of the person he is. He's very respectful and again thankful and appreciative of, of the impact one manager has had and again Michael Carrick for him to recognise the strengths of Akpom and to play him in a system that has got the very best out of him. You can't really underestimate that either and Akpom's fully deserving this award. I always am a little bit sceptical of giving it the top goal scorer because it seems obvious but again just, just the impact he's had on that club this season has been incredible. Yeah, you've got to give it to him, haven't you? He's been the best player in the division this season. The number of times I've been, you know, at a football match and looked on flash scores to see the latest scores. Oh, Middlesbrough have scored. Who is it? Oh, it's True Brackpom again. It just seemed to happen every single week. It was ridiculous how much he was scoring. And if he's got any sense about him, whichever division Middlesbrough in next season, True Brackpom, you've got to stick with Michael Carrick because that man is getting the best out of you. Do not get swayed. Do not let your eyes go anywhere else. Stick with Michael Carrick because just follow him around for the rest of your career. Be Nico Crankshaw and Harry Redknapp. Be Kevin <laughs> Nolan and Sam Allardyce. Just do wherever Carrick goes, follow him. And uh, I'm sure you can carry on this remarkable rise, which, I, as I say, I don't think we'll ever see again at championship level for a player to go from not being given a squad number at the start of the season to play of the season. It's it's fairy tale stuff, really, isn't it? And there we go, ladies and gentlemen. There are second tier awards for the season. It's been an emotional one once again, but looking back on what has been another brilliant championship season is always good and highlighting the best of the best this season is always an absolute pleasure with us and um, we'll be next back on Sunday to talk about the first legs of the playoffs so we look forward to seeing you then but as always if you wouldn't mind giving us a review on whichever platform you listen to us on make sure you subscribe to us on whichever listening platform you listen to us on we'll be eternally grateful and we look forward to seeing you again for the playoffs this has been the second tier podcast I've been Ryan Dilks. I've been Justin Peach. And a big thank you 
for listening.